Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. My guest today is a very special guest because it's no one else but my wife, Joanna Berthelot, and we're going to talk about perimenopause. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast. It's, That's okay. Uh, very nice. Uh, so as we always do before going into the topic, uh, I like asking about a song. So what's your song and why did you choose that song? Well, you always knew that it would be something horrifically cheesy because um, <laughs> that is the type of music that I like, and it's probably one of the most biggest disappointments of our marriage to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my ultimate song that will get me on a dance floor is Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Nice. Mm. And is it just because it makes you dance, or is there any other reason? No, it's purely because it makes me dance. The actual lyrics of it and everything, n nothing, there's no connection. But no, it just, it just always makes me want to dance around like fool. So yeah, that's my that's my song. Nice. Well, you've found somebody to dance with. Oh, <laughs> how romantic. <laughs> right, so we're going to talk about perimenopause, uh, which has affected you for some time. Mm -hmm. But actually, something I don't know is how you realized that you were perimenopausal. So could you share that with us? Sure. I think there have been a few things going on, but I mean, it's funny that you say that you didn't realize how I realized that, you, you know, because it was my mood, my mood just went hugely downhill. And I realized that I just wasn't particularly being a very nice person. <laughs> my, I was on a short fuse constantly. I would get annoyed very easily. Something was different. You know, in the past, I've struggled with anxiety and stress, a bit, a bit of depression, but it felt different. So my instinct wasn't to go back to the doctor and ask for um, my citalopram to go up, which I have done in the past. And I've been able to identify that that's needed. It felt different. And I still can't really pinpoint why it felt different. But I've been on citalopram since our second, our youngest was born. And that was at a time when mum was very poorly. Um, there was a lot of life going on. We had a two and a half year old and a newborn. And life was just a bit, a bit much with, with mum being ill and us, us sort of being back and forward to her and things. And So yeah, I've been on Citalopram for a long time. But my instinct wasn't to up it. And we'd also, we'd moved to Devon I don't know, was it eight months before, something like that? I was healthier probably than I had been in a long time. We're a lot more active down here. We get out a lot more. We walk every day. Everything was okay, but I wasn't. And I think for me, there was a reason, you know, the, there had to be a reason for that. And at the same time, you know, my mood was the, was the main thing and that was the main thing that sent me to the GP. But I was having hot flushes. You know, the number of times we've been sat at the dinner table with the girls and I've sort of said, oh, gosh, it's hot in here. And you lot have looked at me and gone, mm, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm shedding layers and sort of burning up. 
a few years before that, actually, which I still don't know whether was linked, I was having night sweats, um, <laughs> which is all, you know, lovely to talk about with your husband. Um, <laughs> and I still don't know whether they were linked because they were a good couple of years before my other symptoms kicked in. But whether it was early on, I don't, you know, early symptoms, I, I, I still don't know, actually. But I would wake up in the night absolutely drenched. Um, and I'd throw a cover off and then I'd get really cold and I'd put the cover back on and then I'd be all right. But they happen on quite a, a regular basis, but then, you know, hormones can take a while to settle after having had children, you know, three years after I had Alice, I, I suddenly lost a load of hair and that was just my hormones balancing out. So there's so many things that all these symptoms can be, but for me, it was the collection of them. So when you said that you felt a change in your mood, could you be a bit more specific? Because I think that could be quite interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things was my short fuse. I was getting annoyed very quickly and, you know, to a bigger extreme than I, I normally would. One of the pinpoints for me was we, we went on holiday to Cornwall. And again, there were a few things going on. It had been our, it was our first holiday away properly since covid but i just could not i couldn't relax i couldn't deal with the girls sort of acting up as as you know they were acting up on a normal level i think and i couldn't cope with it and i think that it was that week that i said to you i need to do something i need to i need to go to the gp i i i was fairly sure that it was perimenopause so there was that but also i think my self esteem took quite a hit I almost felt a little bit paranoid about things, that I'd overthink things. I'd get it into my head that people thought things that they didn't. So it was quite extreme yeah. in a way. And something else that should be mentioned as to why I suspected it was perimenopause was that my mum went through menopause early 40s and I was 39 at this point. And looking back, mum did have symptoms. She probably didn't realise that she was perimenopausal because... It wasn't talked about and there wasn't as much research in those days, but mum did have quite a lot of symptoms when me and my sister have looked back. You know, dizzy spells. She had huge dizzy spells that suddenly she'd, she'd be sat watching TV, turn her head, and then she'd have to go to bed because she was so dizzy. You know, probably some anxiety and, and things like that going on as well. So, yeah, I had family history of early menopause as well. So then you went to the doctor's. How did they react? Because did you suggest they might be menopause? I didn't actually at first. And I think I was really lucky to have the GP that I have or, you know, one of the GPs at our local practice. Because I, I gave her all my symptoms. I said, I'm on citalopram, but I don't feel like it's that that needs upping. And she said, right, well, what we could do is try a trial of estrogen for three months and we chatted about that um it didn't instantly stupidly it didn't instantly click that she was talking about hrt because she called it an estrogen supplement which instantly changes things well change things in my head because you don't have the stigma of hrt so she sort of said this then we also talked through the risks because my mum had breast cancer when she was early 50s so obviously there's that kind of, I don't know if the stigma is the right word, but 
that's connected to HRT, that the risk of the risk of breast cancer, and that's why women stop taking HRT for a certain number of years. But actually, there's a lot of evidence to show that it's it's a really low risk. And now this is a very personal thing, and it, there's no right or wrong with with this at all. And I wouldn't like any woman to think that there was a right or wrong thing. You you know your decision to, whether you take HRT is a very personal one. Obviously, being at higher risk, very slightly higher risk, and that you know linked to mum having breast cancer. We talked about it. I talked to my sister about it, and I also the GP recommended that I watch the D- Davina McCall um, documentaries that she did a few years back and they were really good I really rate them and I would recommend anyone to to have a watch of those there are there are two of them now sorry are they on menopause or yeah yeah they're on perimenopause and menopause so yeah and the way that Davina sort of visualized it was she was sat in a ball pool full of I think they were pink balls and she had about six or you know, several white balls in her hands. And she's like, this is the risk, the heightened risk of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And to me that, you know, that, that visualized it in a, in a good way for me that it, it is a, mi- you know, quite a minute risk. It is there. But my GP took me through a questionnaire as well and sort of more personal to me. And it showed that, the risk was again minute and talking to you talking to my sister you know there's a risk that I could get breast cancer anyway even if I wasn't on HRT but there's also the fact that there's evidence now that suggests that HRT can be good for osteoporosis like contracting osteoporosis and staving off dementia Mm -hmm. both conditions granny had so there were you know there were pluses to it as well as as well as the risk so yeah we decided to do it I I say we because I feel like it was a bit of a family decision ultimately it was my decision and you made that very clear but I couldn't carry on feeling the way that I was that I did also something connected to mood and also connected to the rest of life which I haven't mentioned is the brain fog that came with it now, I upped my dose of HRT in June this year after having been on it for a, for a year because some symptoms came back. And I would say the second time around, the brain fog was worse. I noticed the symptoms quite quickly. My mood went down again. I was getting hot flushes again. And the brain fog was really, really hard the second time around. I felt like I, w- I was walking through treacle most of the time. How do you think it affected you, the the brain fog? I think part of it, you feel a little bit disconnected to to life. But it's not being able to concentrate, not being able to remember things and forgetting things. I know it's something you noticed as well. And like we almost got to a point where we where we'd laugh about it. Yeah, just just not being able to retain things. Yeah. And that, that was worse second time round, actually. Okay. And I do have my eye on it at the moment because I do feel a bit brain fog foggy <laughs> at the moment. But 
I've got a bit of a cold. It's a busy time of year. It's Christmas. There's lots, you know, lots going on. So it's something to keep my eye on and possibly address in the new year. But I'm going to let the <laughs> let the holidays go first. But yeah, brain fog is really quite debilitating. I've okay. heard a lot of people talk about yeah. that with the perimenopause. Uh, so we talked about HRT, and we're going yep. to come back to it in a sec. But before we do that, was there any other option, or was it the only option in terms of treatment? Upping my citalopram, but I didn't feel, like I say, I didn't feel that that was what it was. I think there was the option of sort of seeing how it goes. You know, things that really help perimenopause is things like eating well exercising but I was already doing all that so really I couldn't carry on the way that I was that I was I didn't want to feel like that and I think that's what made the decision for me with HRT I had to acknowledge the risk of breast cancer and you know and as with any medication there there are risks but it was either carrying on feeling like that or taking the medication yeah so um, there was no there was no other option essentially for me for, for me there wasn't no and I'm really glad I did it it, re- it instantly helped almost instantly yeah so what does it do well it replaces so I've been on two forms the first one was patches that I put one on top of my bum cheek and you change them every three or four days and it had a mix of estrogen and progesterone in it. And now since I upped it, because they're only available in certain doses, now since I upped it, I'm on a transdermal spray, which I put on my forearm every morning. And progesterone tablets that I take at night on days 15 to 26, I think. And basically, if you still have a womb, you need to take the progesterone because that protects protects your womb you take it for the last half of your cycle and then when you stop taking it it sort of it lets your period start all all these sort of facts need to (laughs) need to be taken sort of fairly lightly and checked because whilst the doctors explained it to me and it made all amounts of sense I might not be saying it in completely the right way so yeah so you've got you've got an estrogen supplement that it tops up your estrogen and you've got the progesterone to, to protect your womb. Okay. So it compensates the from the lack or the yeah. lower dose of uh, hormones that you produce yourself. Yeah. So as you sort yeah. of get to a certain age and your estrogen starts dropping, mm-hmm. what, yeah, the estrogen supplement is topping it up. Okay. And actually, there's a really good podcast that I listened to recently that explains all of that in a really good way. And you actually realize how important estrogen is in your body. So the podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. And it's episode 392. And it's called How to Burn Fat, Sleep Better, and Live in Harmony with Your Hormones. And the guest on the podcast is, she's called Dr. Mindy Peltz. And she's a nutrition expert, but she's also a pioneer on the subject of women's health and hormones and listening to her talk about sort of the role of estrogen in your body you realize why you can feel so bad when it when it disappears yeah and obviously all of this is said in a you know parent it's said with the caveat of 
perimenopause can affect people in so many different ways and some mm-hmm. people don't struggle with it. So it depends on, on the individual. I really liked that podcast, actually. Um, I almost didn't listen to it because in the blurb it talks about fasting. And I had always <laughs> sworn that I would never fast because I like food. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was brought up on, you eat three meals a day. You know, you, my dad used to say, you stoke the boiler. So, yeah, fasting has never been something that I thought I would do. Mm-hmm. However, I've actually been doing it <laughs> for the past probably month or so. I just have my breakfast a bit later. I can still have my morning black coffee, which is what I need in the morning. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually having my breakfast later in the morning instead of at half past six, seven o'clock. Yeah. I'm still sort of seeing how it works out. It's certainly had no negatives, but what Dr. Mindy Peltz talks about is that it can help level out your hormones and it also can help with fat burn because another thing that a lot of women struggle with with perimenopause is, is weight gain or the inability okay. to lose weight. And whilst I have no sort of burning desire to be sort of super thin, mm-hmm. <laughs> I you know, weight at this age is a lot harder to shed. And just giving my body a couple more hours to to kind of burn some fat and I I can't remember all the science behind it now but I do feel better on it and it's something that I'm going to carry on with for for another while probably no doubt have a break over Christmas with it (laughs) but yeah it's something that I swore I would never do and then listening to this podcast yes it it convinced me to give it a go and yeah I certainly don't feel like there's any negatives with it and how many hours do you have to fast for it for it to be effective i mean i probably do a fairly minimal fast to be honest because by 10 o'clock or half 10 i'm hungry and i need food to be able to think (laughs) you know we're usually done eating by any time between half six and half seven in the evening and then i have breakfast usually between 10 and half 10 now so that's sort of like a 15 hour fast i would say on average you can do you can do more and obviously this is said on on the blurb as well this you know it's quite it can be a bit of a taboo subject as well because people with eating disorder history and things have to be you know might need to be careful yeah you can do you can do more I mean she does talk about she did like a a water fast for three days where she only had water for three days I couldn't go down that road it's not something that I would I would want to do. Um, I imagine, could imagine that you would become a lot moodier than than ever. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get hungry before meals. <laughs> I wouldn't like to be you if I hadn't eaten for three days. But so yeah, there are lifestyle changes that you can make. So that decision of HRT or not HRT, some people might want to just go down the the lifestyle changes mm-hmm. of getting out more getting more you know more exercise eating a bit healthier you know some people might look at the fasting thing it's a very new thing for me whether it'll be long term or not we'll see so do you know what happens next then like how do you know when to stop hrt uh how do you know when menopause actually hits so and i was thinking about this this morning because i don't actually have the answer to this and it is something that I'd like to discuss with, with the GP. In terms of when menopause hits and when you're done with it and all the rest of it, 
technically you on you're not menopausal until you've not had a period for a, a year which I'm not at that stage at all. I still have periods. They are getting shorter and lighter. So whether I'm heading towards that, they did get a little bit irregular before I went on HRT. But now that I'm on HRT, they're they're back in sort of a very regular cycle. So yeah, how long they could take to stop, I, I don't know. And at what point you come off HRT is still something that I'm not sure about. I think I was just so glad to get on it and feel better and that I see this as quite you know it's quite a long journey the only answer I can give is I I don't know I I presume well either it will if I ever get to a point where I'm not feeling great on it I'll address it with the doctor maybe it's when I don't have periods anymore but then symptoms can carry on for quite a few years after you've had periods so yeah that's something to be reviewed I have a review every year, unless I need to talk to the GP in between. But um, yeah, that's something that that I do need to discuss. In my head, it's quite a long journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because for me, like, and maybe a lot of uh, men out there, menopause is something we hear about, but we don't necessarily discuss that much. <laughs> and yeah. and it's, a, it's a shame because... It's a period of life which is not instant, that can last for many years. And it's uh, when you're in a couple, it's a journey that you should be on together because uh, that's something that uh, your partner or wife um, probably needs support with. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, you, you complete, you're completely right. And I think we are starting, starting to talk about it more as society. And there seems to be a shift in doctors being more ready and maybe able to prescribe HRT. I yeah. now get it, I was going to say free, but I think it's £20 a year I pay rather than at first I was paying as normal prescriptions. But actually mm-hmm. now, we, you know, you can, you, you pay sort of 20-something pounds a year and then everything everything's free after that I feel like for years and years and years the solution was you know you have a woman coming to you saying I'm struggling I can't you know I can't think straight my mood's low I don't know you know I don't know what's going on I don't feel right and the automatic thing has been onto antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds yeah which can be the solution for for some women it depends you know it depends on what is going on but I, I think a lot of women feel that sometimes the perimenopause has been missed mm-hmm. or the opportunity to go on HRT is missed or they have to fight for it when the easiest solution is to go on anti-anxiety meds. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, I think, I mean, it's great that certainly women talk about it a lot more than they used to. Hopefully we're all a bit more clued up than, than we used to be because there is more evidence and research and, and things. And then hopefully that'll have a knock on effect in that, you know, men will start talking about it more because it definitely helps when you when your partner's on board and can see can see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to be a conversation at the pub, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, definitely. Well, for for me, what I really appreciate about what you've been going through is that you've been talking about it. We've not kept it a secret. 
uh, which yeah. really helps with the way we approach it. And at my end, I feel like I understand a bit more what's going on. Well, that's good. And like, I am very open about it, like at home with the girls, because mm-hmm. they're going to go through it at some point. And I want them to know why, you know, why I'm grumpy. I mean, I still have the sort of monthly PMT, but that's more a lot more manageable than it was before. Mm-hmm. It was like having PMT for three weeks of the month. And yeah. I'd get one week where there'd be a bit of reprieve and then we'd be back into it again. Mm-hmm. But you know, I want them to understand what role hormones can play in their bodies because they're gonna they're gonna go through it all. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm very open with with friends. I've even talked about it at work because I'm very up for getting rid of taboos. And, yeah, and actually getting the conversation out. And I think you probably will talk about it at the pub um, <laughs> at some point <laughs> because everyone, all the wives are going to go through it. Yeah, um, and it does affect family life. Yeah. Something that I haven't sort of said and spoken about is learning a bit more about how your hormones work within your monthly cycle has really helped me. Because a lot of the time, like the the week before my period, for example, I'll get frustrated because I don't feel as though I can do as much. The brain fog kicks back in a bit along with PMT. And the podcast that I that I've recommended talks about the fact that at different points in your cycle, your hormones are at different levels. I think it's something like days 11 to 15 are when your testosterone kicks in and you're a lot, you know, you're, you're a lot more kind of on it. And that's the, you know, that's a good time to be achieving things and pushing. And if you work out up in the workout and things like that, whereas like the week before your period, it's okay just to dial back a bit and actually say to your partner, I just need to sit under a blanket on the sofa and read a book quietly on my own, which I've started to do more of just so that you know that it's kind of like, okay, it's going to, it's a bit of a rough week. (laughs) So yeah, I think something that's helped me within this perimenopausal journey is learning more about my hormones so that I know what effect they're having on, on my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I can imagine that it makes it much easier if you know that it's this period of the month that you're going to go through a few days or a week where you're not feeling as great rather than not knowing about it and wondering why. Yeah, completely. And, you know, life is busy and you don't always have the option to dial back. I can't remember what happened last month, actually, but I didn't have the option to dial back. Work was really busy. But I noticed the the effect it had on me and I recognized the effect it had on me. Rather than beating myself up and getting frustrated Mm -hmm. that I was struggling, I was like, well, no, I mean, the week before my period, you know, I I should be sort of taking a little bit of extra time for myself, but actually I'm having to push through that because of a deadline at, at work, which can happen. And that raises the the topic, which is probably an, a, another conversation, really, but of employers being aware of this and putting in certain measures or having someone that they, you know, that women can go to just to say, ah, oh, I'm struggling because of this, this, and this. But yeah, that's probably another another podcast topic. <laughs> wow, that's been um, interesting having you on the podcast. 
Oh, thank you for having me. Um, it's quite strange talking to you when you're on screen, when you're downstairs <laughs> in the conservatory. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I always like finishing with the same question. Actually, it's interesting because I don't know what the answer is going to be, although I should, but maybe I'll be surprised. Uh, what's your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? Oh, <laughs> I think there's several, which is a really good thing, isn't it? Living where we live now, one of them is being out either on a coastal walk or up on Dartmoor, which I would like to do more of next year, just get more of those types of walks in. But then that would, I would say that's probably a without children one because okay. um, <laughs> we know how our family walks can go sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say that's a, that's a without children one. That's with you or with a friend. Um, mm -hmm. Family happy place. I think kind of where we were last night in, in the snug with the fire going, playing a game with the girls. Did we have a G&T in our hands? Possibly. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of having a nice sort of cosy, cosy moment in front of the fire. We all love this time of year for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think even Lucille said last night that that was one of her favourite places. So yeah, I think that, that would be a with child, with children and a without children option. Okay, I like that. And that's why we're together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me and for taking the time to share about perimenopause. I think it's very important to raise awareness about it. So thank you. You're I'm very sure welcome. I'm sure I'll see you soon. <laughs> see you in a couple of minutes. <laughs>